0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. This is Proverbs chapter 31, verses 1 through 9. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vow? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed, and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing, and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even though your word was written down so long ago, in such a different time and place, that it is still your word for us today. And so we pray that as we reflect on these words now, that you would sink them deep into our hearts, Show us what you have for each of us this morning. That this would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our lives. Changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, and the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we're talking about politics, uh, there, there, and we're, where, where do we start thinking about politics? What great examples of politics do we have where politics actually worked? And the first one that comes to mind for me uh, is, is, and I've, I think I've talked about him before because he's such a great example, but is that of William Wilberforce, the English uh, Member of Parliament in the late 1700s and early 1800s. And if you, don't, if you don't know anything about Wilberforce, you really should learn about Wilberforce. You can learn, there's a, there's a movie about Wilberforce, there are books about Wilberforce, uh, but Wilberforce is most famous for being a Member of Parliament And at some point, he was was a privileged member of society and got into Parliament young. But at some point, he experienced a conversion. And he became, even though he had grown up in a a culture that was culturally Christian, he experienced a conversion to a real and vibrant personal relationship with Jesus. And then he came under the influence of John Newton, uh, the famous author of the hymn Amazing Grace, a former slave captain himself who had repented and become a pastor and was Wilberforce's pastor in London. And so Wilberforce and others joined together and they worked tirelessly over a period of 40 years to seek the abolition first of the slave trade in the British Empire and then of slavery itself. And at the end of his life, Wilberforce Wilberforce saw his labors come to fruit. And a few, I think just days before he died, the British Parliament outlawed slavery in all uh, the domain of the British Empire. And so it was a testament to a life well-lived, a life of using privilege, of using politics, of using power for good, for righteousness, to seek what is good and right. And yet, so often, when we talk about politics, it does not seem that we are seeking all that is good and right. Whether we're talking about politicians who are, uh, if I say politician and hypocrites, Many would think that is redundant, not entirely fair, but that is how many of us certainly feel. Uh, and so, whether we're looking at individual politicians who seem to be hypocritical, who seem to be out for their own gain, whether we're looking at individuals who are simply participating in the political process through their votes, through their advocacy, and we see people—it it feels like we're always, we're always going like this, always like this, and I say this. Well, I just. Uh, I disagree with you about this so if you say that I gotta disagree about that too and we go further and further apart and we wonder what is the point should we just should, should we just dive in on our team side should we just let go of this all together and step out of the political process not vote not advocate not talk about these things what do we do as citizens in a representative democracy we don't we don't really, it's not really a great option to say we can step out of this altogether. We're here. We're citizens. The gov- we say in the United States that our government is a government for the people and by the people. So we're, we're part of it. We kind of have to be. So we need to seek God's wisdom for how we can participate in politics in a, in a godly sort of way. And the starting point to this is to realize something that we say every Sunday that we say in our prayers, that we hear from God's word, that we we testify to simply by the act of coming to worship together. And the starting point is that God rules over the entire world. That God is not simply God of his people, not simply God of his church, not simply a Sunday God, but God is a a seven-day-a-week ruler over every aspect of our lives and over every aspect of the world. That's why, in God's Bible, in God's Word, in the book of Proverbs, there's words about what it means to be a king, not of just the people of Israel, but just a king in general. Because God is ruler of the whole world. And we see in Proverbs and we see other places very clearly that God has put all human rulers into authority because he is the ultimate ruler of the whole world. So that is the starting point. And if we start from that point that God is the ruler of the whole world, then of course how we engage in politics, we must engage, and it's it's kind of silly sounding in its simplicity, but we must engage as Christians. But think about that. How often do we find ourselves in political discussions and at some point we realize that we have checked our Christianity and our faith at the door as we entered that discussion? And our discussion of politics is more shaped by the news that we listen to, by the people that we're talking to, than by God's Word and his, and our faith in Him. And we've got to step back and think about that and say, okay, yeah, we know this happens, but what can we do differently? We must engage in politics as Christians. So what does Proverb tell us about what that looks like? And I would say there's three things that we can see here, that to engage in politics as Christians, means first, seeking God's goals. We seek God's goals in politics. Second, we have to do it using God's ways. And third, perhaps most importantly, we have to do it trusting God's outcomes. So we seek God's goals, we use God's ways, and we trust God's outcomes. So first, seeking God's goals. This is really where most of Proverbs 31, verses 1 through 9, is telling us what are God's goals for politics. What is the heart of the king supposed to be? And so we see here kind of a warning to King Lemuel. First, do not give your strength to women and do not drink wine. That might be not quite as, it might be stated a little bit more strongly than it actually says. But he's warning him against women and wine. And of course, women here is not is not talking about his wife. He's talking about the ways of kings to take advantage of many different women. And we see throughout the history of the Bible, even of God's kings, that that was a snare for them. As the kings took more and more wives, those wives led them astray. They were wives from other nations, other nations that led them to worship other gods. Now, King Lemuel does not. That's not his issue because he is not an Israelite king. But it is still a snare and a temptation to lead kings into bad places. The temptation of wine and strong drink. Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed. To make bad decisions. So what, what does this really look like for us? What is the warning against? The warning is against kings using their power for their own gain. Whether that be specifically in taking advantage of women, taking lots of wives, drinking to excess, but there's other, certainly other ways in our modern society that kings or politicians can use power for their own gain. But instead, the call is to use power. Yes, to use it. Verse 8 and 9 says, open your mouth. Kings and leaders are to do what is right. They are to rule actively. Open your mouth for what? For the rights of all who are destitute to defend the rights of the poor and needy. So the, the God's goals for politics is that those who have power would use their power not for their own gain, but for the sake of others, for the sake of those who are in need, for the sake of those who are the most needy and most vulnerable. And now there's another aspect uh, to, to, um, to God's power, or to, to the power of rulers, to God's goals for rulers, We see in uh, Proverbs 29, 14, the same idea. If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. So we've got the same focus on the poor that we see here and throughout Scripture. But we also get the idea of judgment and justice. Justice is to help those who are in need, to lift them up, to care for the poor and needy. But we also see the aspect of justice in other places throughout the Bible. That justice is to punish those who do wrong. The New Testament tells us this that the, the the king holds no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. He is God's servant to execute justice on wrongdoing. So the 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 role of the leader, God's goals, are that they execute justice, they do what is right, including punishing wrongdoing, and they defend the rights of the poor needy. They don't for themselves use it for others now the trick is an application of what does it mean to see that this is what God said for Kings back then what does it mean for us today but because of course we don't have Kings today and this is one of the challenges in applying God's Word which is all about Kings to our political situation today where we have no Kings but there's two ways in which I think this very properly applies one What Proverbs says about kings is what we should be seeking in the character of our leaders. And so when we go to elect leaders, this is the fundamental question that we should be asking. Because because some, some specific policy positions may make a difference, but when we elect a leader, we don't know what's going to happen. And so what we should seek is character. Who is the leader who is seeking to use their power for the sake of other people? Who is the leader who is trustworthy and honest? Who is the leader who is clearly seeking his or her own gain? Now, it's all well and good to say that that's what the Bible calls us to seek. Of course, different Christians are going to have different opinions about who those people are. That's not something the Bible can tell us. It can't tell us which leader actually is competent and trustworthy and, uh, and selfless. That's a matter of facts, and wisdom, and decision-making that we each seek for ourselves. But at least we can see the principle of what we are seeking in leaders. But also, in our democracy, we're not just seeking this as the character for our leaders. In a democracy, I said the government is a government by the people. In a sense, we are all little kings in our democracy. So the call to the, ki- the character of the king here is a call for all of us for how we are to act. How we are to use our own power. Whether that be political power in terms of our votes and our advocacy and our discussion, or that be more individual power in our workplaces, in our families, in our relationships. We are all called to use our power for the sake of others. This is God's goal in politics in the exercise of power, wherever it would be, that we are little kings. And we gather together to elect bigger kings. And so we seek good character in those people we elect. We seek good character in ourselves. And so when we think about what we are voting for, what we are advocating for, what we are, you know, maybe not we're thinking, but what we're just telling our friends that we want. What we are thinking we want from our government. We have to ask ourselves, is the government that I want Policies that I want that I wish we had, are these primarily for my own benefit? Or am I really seeking what will be for the benefit of others? What will be for the benefit of more, particularly those who are the most vulnerable, who have the most need. Now the trick with this, as, as with many things, is just like choosing the character of a leader, we start thinking about policies that seek to lift up the poor and needy that are for the benefit of the of others we're not necessarily going to agree on the specifics of those policies. And the Bible does not tell us the specifics of those policies. But what we can seek is agreement on the goal. that we want to be other-centered. And if we know part of the problem with politics is not just out there in the culture, but it's also within the church. Within the church, politics can become very divisive. And one of the reasons that it can become so divisive is we confuse the goals of our politics with the means for accomplishing those goals. And if we can recognize that by and large as Christians, we all do want, or at least should want, the same goals, then the fact that we disagree on some of the means and policies is a much easier disagreement to have. Because we realize that we want the same things. And so that takes us then from seeking God's goals to using God's ways. How can we actually use God's ways to seek good his good political goals? That power is used for the sake of the needy, that justice is done, that the innocent are declared innocent, that the guilty are punished, that the society is protected. What are God's ways in that? Well, there's a couple of proverbs that state that, that go to this that are particularly important for us, because there's two in in terms of using God's ways. One is how we listen, and the other is how we speak. And so first, with how we listen, Proverbs 18, 17 tells us, the one who states his case first seems right, until the other comes and examines him. And it is so easy when we get into political discussions, you hear something, especially something that you would be kind of predisposed to agree with, and you're like, that's it. That's right. And you kind of latch on to that. And sometimes, even, sometimes that can be just a deeply held belief, or sometimes you can get really angry. Can you believe what happened? And anytime you feel yourself getting there, it would be good to say, let me see what the other side of this case would be. Because then the other comes and says, well, actually, this looked a little bit different. And you hear that, and you're like, oh, maybe there is more to this. So it is a call to listen to different perspectives, especially perspectives that we wouldn't necessarily naturally agree with, but especially perspectives that we wouldn't necessarily naturally agree with, but are being stated by our brothers and sisters in Christ. So if a brother and sister in Christ is saying something politically that sounds different to you, you should listen. Say, okay, is that another side of this case? Doesn't mean they're right. Doesn't mean you're right either, though. So we need to listen to the other side. Now, the other thing is, on the one hand, we say to listen. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25, we uh, mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and in our, in our, we're looking at friendship. But it says this, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Make no friendship with a man given to anger. Why? Lest you learn his ways. So this is a warning that as it is right to listen to people, we should also be very aware of how much we are listening to people and how much we are being affected by those whom we listen to, even when we don't think so. Even when we don't think that we are always agreeing with everything we hear, what we listen to is shaping us, who we consider our friends and allies, we are going to naturally agree with them. This is how... You can predict so much of what people think based on who they vote for. It's not really because they're voting for those persons for those reasons. It's just that we get split into camps. And we listen to those people with whom we agree on some things. And we start to adopt their position on other things. And so whether you're talking about tax policy or abortion policy, you'll find that Christians who fall generally into one political camp or another We'll take views on those things. We'll start to adopt views on those things that you're like, that, does that really come from the Bible? I don't, I don't really think it does. Why? Because we're being affected by our friends. We're being affected by our allies. We are making friendship with the man given to anger. Who is the man given to anger? It could be men. But what, what, do, our, what do our media outlets give us, by and large, on both sides? They give us anger and they give us fear. Why? Because they're evil people bent on the destruction of society. No, because it sells. It sells. Why do they give us fear and anger? Because we want fear and anger. Because we're broken people. That's what we. That's what we're attracted to. That's what sells. And it happens across across the political spectrum, that we are being fed fear and anger. But then we get wrapped into it in these camps, and we have to step back and say, what is where is my center? My center is in God. Now the other part, of course, of, that, of God's ways is how we speak. Once we start processing well and thinking about how we take in information, political information and other kinds of information, then we have to speak it rightly as well. And one of the things that's fascinating is, uh, you may know, the Ninth Commandment. The Ninth Commandment of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Which most of us when we hear you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, we think rightly of a courtroom setting. And you should not stand in court and lie, which is true. You should not do that. But in the tradition of the church, there is a long and proper history of understanding that the Ten Commandments are really just summary commandments. And so that that the Ninth Commandment that says you shall not bear false witness is not just talking about courtrooms, but is calling us to scrupulous honesty in all areas of our lives. And so when we're talking about politics and how we speak, the commandment that we not bear false witness particularly applies how we describe those with whom we disagree. And we have an obligation, if we're going to engage in politics in God's ways, that we must speak rightly of those with whom we disagree. Now it doesn't mean that we can't disagree with them. Of course we can disagree with them, but we need to disagree with what they actually say and what they actually think, rather than what we are trying to pretend that they say or think or what caricature other people have made at them. And so if we get to where we can recognize that, as especially within the church, that we have largely the same goals or want to have the same goals, and we can treat honestly the opinions and differences of people with whom we disagree, how much different would our church life be? How much different would our church life be if when you, said, if when you hear me say, we're going to talk about politics this morning, instead of panicking, if you were excited because you said, yes, in the church, this is a place where we disagree honestly and we have good decisions and we try to figure out what is best to serve the poor and needy. And while we may not fully agree on what the best way is, we know that we each have each other's best interests. We each have the best interests of others at heart. And we treat others' words with respect. And we treat their, pe- their, their character with respect. And we disagree about issues rather than personalities. And we put off all personal attacks on people, all character assassination. How much different would that be? And if the church was like that, then what difference would that start to make in the world? What a light that would be if people saw the church not as a voting block for a particular political party, but as a place where political opinions were discussed and valued and good ideas came. How can we do that ultimately? Ultimately, this all rests that we have to trust God's outcomes. Proverbs 21 tells us, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he is. So we think, we pray, we seek wisdom, we cast our votes, we do our advocacy, and the candidate that we fervently believe was best is not elected. What do we say? We say, well, God has brought all rulers to authority. So for a time he brings this ruler, for a time he brings this ruler. And we say, God can turn this heart. Even this king's heart that seems so desperately wicked and selfish can be turned to be made to do what is right. And then we can speak respectfully of our leaders. And we can speak, hopefully, of our leaders, even if they're not doing well at the moment, trusting that God can turn their heart. So God, we trust that God is in control of all things. But it gets even better because Proverbs 20, 20, 28 tells us steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king. And by steadfast love, his throne is upheld. And Proverbs 25, 5 tells us take away the wicked from the presence of the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. Say, wow, those are strong words for kings for whom the Bible is unsparing in the description of their faults. To say that by steadfast love, steadfast love, what's steadfast love? Steadfast love is God's covenant love by which he said, you will, I will be your God and you will be my people. Say he will establish a king by his steadfast love. His throne will be established in righteousness and the wicked will be removed from his presence. This is high and lofty language that God is speaking. And we say, well, okay, but this is Proverbs. This was written in the time of Solomon, the son of King David. In fact, uh, so children, on on your clipboards, the coloring page says the prophet Nathan tells David of his covenant promises, of God's promises. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the prophet Nathan came to the king David and said, your throne will be established forever. And so these words from Proverbs are kind of going off of that, now talking in those words really of Israel's king, that the throne of David and his son Solomon and his house would be established forever. But we know from the story that David's sons did not follow in his ways, starting with Solomon and many after, and yet they, and they rebelled against God. But God kept his promises, because the New Testament tells us that David's ultimate son the ultimate king that sat on his throne was Jesus. And this is why every morning when we gather, we worship our King Jesus. And we say he reigns over this whole world because he has taken the throne of David and he is taking God's covenant promise that that throne will be established forever over the whole world. So our ultimate hope in God's, in trusting God's outcomes is that God is in control of our human rulers and all human rulers are under the ultimate authority of the King Jesus. Which is why when we get to the New Testament, we get the same instructions to respect the King, to honor the King, to pray for the King. But we also get Philippians, where Paul tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That all our political moves on earth, all our participation in democracy, as right and good as that is, is remembering that our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. Our ultimate king is Jesus, and it is to him we owe our allegiance. So that gives us hope when politics is not going as we expect, not going as we want. It gives us perspective to not get too wrapped up in human politics, and it gives us guidance to do all of our human politics under the authority of our King Jesus. Then we have the perseverance to go as Wilberforce did. I said at the beginning it took him 40 years It was 1789 when he first introduced 12 articles seeking the abolition of the slave trade. It was not until 1807, uh, 18 years later, that the slave trade was abolished. And not until 1833 that slavery was itself abolished. So 40 years Wilberforce worked in faith, trusting that God would bring about righteousness. And in the same way, we can work in all the spheres that God has given us, seeking to use whatever power we have, For the good of others in service to our king jesus would you pray with me father we thank you for your word we thank you for your love we pray that you would take this word show us what it means for us in each of our lives this day and this week we pray this in jesus name amen thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from resurrection community church To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.